You're listening to a sermon from Pasco Vale Church of Christ. To hear more of our teaching or to find out about the church, please visit our website, pvcc.org.au. Good morning, Pasco Vale. Welcome to another beautiful Sunday as we worship the Lord together. For those of you who are joining us for the first time or listening online, we are currently on the Grace Changes Everything series based on the book of Ephesians. And today is our second last sermon from this series, and Pastor Lou will close out the series in the next two weeks. Now, we hope you've all benefited from the messages and how quickly the end of the year approaches, isn't it? Two more weeks and we are into Christmas. I hope you're all excited and ready to spend your time celebrating Christ and also celebrating with your families. Now, before I begin, let's just bow our heads and uh, prepare our hearts and ask the Holy Spirit to, to speak to us as we hear what God has in store for us today. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we just thank you for your scripture. We thank you for your words um, and your commandments to us. We pray, dear Lord, that we will embrace it with much fervor and passion and let us live a life that you have designed us to do. Lord, may the meditation of our hearts and the words that we speak today be wholly acceptable to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now recently, I was blessed to have the opportunity to share the gospel with my friends from my dive community. In particular, a longtime friend whom I met scuba diving asked me for a Bible and some literature. You could not imagine the excitement and joy to learn that a non-believing friend um, wants to explore the Bible. So I quickly rang Margaret and asked if we had a Bible to give away, and, um, as, and, and, and sure enough there was, so I brought it to her. She was not at a dive shop, so I had to pass it on to her dad to pass it on. Now her dad was also a non-believer too, and we started chatting about God in the Bible, funnily enough. Now he then told me his story about his grandma, who was a Christian, and how Christians sadly mistreated his grandma. And that is why he does not believe in God today. One of the issues he mentioned to me was that there are some who preach uh, from the pulpit, who pick and choose passages from the Bible and made it whatever they wanted to make it. He said that in his opinion, some preachers have taken scripture out of context, distorted the message and used it for their gain. He also said the Bible should be able to speak for itself and there was really no need to add to it. It was indeed a meaningful conversation. And I have to admit, I do not disagree with some of what he said. And yes, some people have certainly cherry-picked passages from the Bible, abused it, and used it to justify their sinful ways. And interestingly enough, the verses today we are, are one of those many verses. Now, I was amazed at my friend's wisdom, and certainly we can all agree that the Bible speaks for itself, and we certainly do not need to add to it. This is because God's word is good. Now, in 2 Timothy verses 3, 16 to 17, writes, tells us that all scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Friends, if you heard what my friend was saying, it's not the words of the Bible that is bad, but it's the sinfulness of men who is bad and distort what the Bible teaches and uses it for their benefit to justify their sinful ways. These verses in particular are no exceptions. 
if we took the words of Ephesians 5, 21 to 33 out of context and distract and distort its truth, it's no wonder there are outcries of hypocrisy, misogyny, bigotry, chauvinistics. This is why I've left religion sometimes even disgust that, we're, that for example, women had to submit. Some are concerned that such passages validate domestic violence. And tragically, these concerns are not without merit. In 2017, the ABC released the piece, Submit to Your Husband, Woman Told to Endure Domestic Violence in the Name of God. The article reported on domestic violence within the church. Story after story after story showed that the Bible had been used to justify, condone, enable, and cover up horrific family abuse. And that's within the church. We're not even talking outside people. Let me tell you up front that this is not acceptable. Abuse of any kind, any kind, is abhorrent and has no place in God's kingdom. No. Let me tell you up front, it is not acceptable. It's not acceptable. And you, have no, you will find no justification or excuse for it in the Bible. Now, another close friend of mine has actually left Christianity because he observed the hypocrisy of his Christian parents. His mom was being abused by the father, and in turn, he was being abused. He was not... He has now disowned his own family because of this as well. Turning people away from God is not the intent of Scripture, and it's certainly not the intent of God. If the stats of the articles are right, then the sad reality is some of us in this church family may have or may have likely experienced abuse of some kind, like my friend. If you are, let me say that we want to support you and we want to help you to get the care and safety that you need. You don't need to stay in a bad situation or suffer alone in silence. With all that in mind, I approach our passage today. I know it is a very pastorally sensitive topic and I'll need wisdom so as not to distort what's being preached, especially from this pulpit. God's word is good. The Bible is not outdated, irrelevant, or misogynistic, and it's definitely not, does not condone abuse. I hope and we pray that we can see God's pattern for relationships is revolutionary, beautiful, and for the flourishing of all of humanity. The four key headings to help us work through the passage are as follows. Submission is, kingdom, is a kingdom ethic. Husbands love, wives submit, and we've got what's the meaning of marriage. Now let's start by looking at the first heading. Our passage is actually part of a larger section and train of thought that begins all the way in Ephesians 4 verses 15. We get to verse 18, and then that's a command. Chapter 4, verse 18 writes, Don't get drunk with wine. That's debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. 
The following verses unpack what spirit-filled living looks like. It's addressing one another in psalms, hymns and songs. It's singing to the Lord. It's giving thanks. And then finally in verse 21, it says, Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now this means if grace has taken a hold of our lives, if, you, if we have undeserved love and acceptance, if we have been changed by the gospel, if we are filled with the God's spirit, then, then our lives will be marked by the submission to our Lord. Submission first and foremost to God. And then submission to one another. This is counter to our human nature, isn't it? Why? Because ever since the beginning of the Bible, it tells us that humans have a natural inclination to dominate and rule over one another. From the dark ages, even now, we see this in the wars. Think about Adam and Eve. They didn't submit to God's authority. Don't eat the fruit, God says. They do it anyway. The first brothers, Cain and Abel. Cain doesn't get what he wants, so he murders his brother. And he goes on and on and on. These guys aren't just a couple of bad eggs. This is a hum universal human problem that all of us have. Just take a look at the two walls and you can see it so evidently. We don't submit to God. And we don't submit to one another. We want to rule. We want to dominate. But Jesus, Jesus shows us a new way. Jesus completely flips what it means to be in authority and power. He had all the authority and power, yet he did not seek to be served, but to serve. He did not seek to be loved, but loved others before himself. Jesus went to the cross, not because he deserved, but because we deserved, and because he cared enough about us that he chose to take his place on that cross. Submission is a kingdom ethic. Listen to what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 20, verse 25. You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you, but whoever will be great among you must be your servant. And whoever be first among you must be your slave, even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Now you don't get more power and authority than Jesus. And even he came to serve. He washed his servants' feet. Putting yourself under others, taking a position of humility, Serving them for their good. It is against our selfish nature. So to do this, to be able to do this, you need God's grace. You need His Spirit to work in you and through you. But this doesn't mean that Jesus gets rid of roles and authority. Positions of authority still exist today. Somebody is given authority in government, church, family, work, and school. 
But within those structures of authority, it's God's kingdom. The overarching ethic is still submission to one another. So as we explore the rest of the verses, we cannot distort the context of the scripture as we prepare to hear the rest of the passage. We cannot nitpick and choose words and then call scripture wrong or outdated just because we hear words we do not like. So with the right context in mind, let's see how today's passage play out in the marriage relationship. Firstly, it says, wives submit. Now, Ephesians addresses wives first, which would, be, would have been spoken of volumes in their culture of the day. Now, whenever this verse is read out or quoted, you can hear the feminists and all the people eyes rolling and shouting, bigots, misogyny, mockery, or being outdated. If I were to simply just say, wives submit, then yes, yes, I am probably all of what they say I am. But if we put it into context, the concept of submission paints a whole different picture. In this command, Paul in three verses summarizes the command to wives. But to the men, to the men, he does so over seven verses. This in itself should tell us a whole lot. But we'll come to that in later, later. The call for a woman to submit is not to say that she becomes a slave to her husband. No. But rather speaks to the nature of the woman as well. Notice that she is not commanded to love her husband back because in this context, love is a spiritual language of women. Love is a spiritual language of women. Her motherly nature and instinct leans towards love. Love to her husband, love to her children, love for her family. It's natural for a woman to love. But to submit, now that's a different story. We call for the woman to submit or serve is the example set by Jesus to serve. All Christians are called to servant leadership. We are called to submit to one another. Submission in this instance does not mean the wife is lower than the husband. Quite the opposite. We are actually co-equals in God's eyes. The command to submit is similar to how the church is called to commit to serve God. Those who distort the truth make it sound as though this verse gives permission for the husband to dominate their wife. Far from it. It gives no permission for the husband to mistreat the wife, nor does it condone abuse of any kind. Now anyone suggesting this is interpreting the scriptures with a mind of sin and not of God. We'll see the role of the husband just as much about submission as the wife shortly. If anything, the command responsibility given to the husband is actually even greater. Wives are called to submit to your own husbands, not to all men. Your submission is as to the Lord. It's not saying that your husband becomes like God to you. It's saying as you submit first and foremost to God, you should also submit also to your husband. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. 
His body is himself its savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Now, there's much debate, much debate about those words and what they truly mean when Paul wrote it. But in essence, it says that the husband is the head. Now, there are many schools of thought of this, but the, this much is clear. Verses 30, 25 to 30 shows us that headship is expressed through love. Not authoritative control, not domination, but love. So a wife's submission is about allowing your husband to exercise this kind of headship. It's about supporting him in that role. Just as in Genesis chapter 2, verse 15, God put the man to work in the Garden of Eden to do God's work. And in verse 18, God felt that it was not good for the man to go in alone. So God made a helper fit for him. Wives are called to support their husbands. I think ultimately, headship is about responsibility. For example, if anything happens to Australia, the Prime Minister takes responsibility. If anything happens to the business, the CEO does help account, how to account. If anything happens to the church, it's the preachers that teach the wrong thing. It will be the board or the preachers who, who are held responsible. In the family, the husband takes the responsibility. And God will call the husband to account. The husband will have to stand before God and give an answer. So wives, submit to your husband as he takes on this great responsibility of having to lead the family and be accountable to God. He needs every bit of your help and your support that he can get. Let him exercise his obligation and responsibility of headship. Allow him the freedom to take responsibility for you and resist the urge to dominate or rule over him. Now, your husbands won't be perfect. He has room to grow. This is why wives need to exercise grace. Respect him. Don't tear him down. And trust me when I'm saying he's trying. Respect him when you're talking to your friends. I'm not suggesting you can't ever say anything bad about him. But don't nitpick and gossip about his shortcomings. Instead, think about ways that we can encourage him and build him up. As you do this, you will empower him to follow Jesus and model the sacrificial love of Jesus to you and your family. Now we come to the husband's love. Here's how verse 25, mutual submission, plays out for the husband. In verse 25 it says, Husbands, love your wives. Now men tend to have less issues with serving. You'll find that most men's love language is actually service. They are duty-bound. That is why so many men serve in the military, because they feel a need to serve their country and their fellow countrymen. Men also like to, to serve around the house, while 
housework may not always be a thing for them. But fixing things around the house, building things for the family, comes naturally to the men. We have a natural instinct to serve and protect our families also. Love, however, is not something that comes naturally to men. We are not in touch with our emotions, and we are sometimes disconnected when it comes to the nurturing and caregiving side of things. You see, this even within the animal kingdom, where the caregiving is mostly given by the female, but the protection and leadership is provided often only by the male. Men are often confused between duty and how best to show love. But Paul gives us some help here. Husbands are to love like Jesus. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. Jesus gave up everything, his own life, for the good of the church. So husbands are commanded to do likewise. Love sacrificially. Give yourself up for her. Lay down your desires and preference for her. Seek her good and help her to flourish and become the woman God wants her to be. Are we sensitive of the needs and desires of our wives? Or do we assume that our interests and needs are the same as hers? Again, our wives won't always be lovable, but neither are we. And yet, Christ loved us still. We're called to love our wives, just like Jesus has loved you and I. To help us even more, the passage gives us another illustration to help us understand what this love looks like. The husband is to love his wife like he loves his own body. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Now this kind of love means orientating our lives around nourishing and cherishing your wife. Everybody looks after their own body. We nourish it, we provide for it, we try to make ourselves presentable. In the same way, husbands are to nourish their wives. But love here is not just providing the necessity or service. We are to cherish them as well. You know, there's a saying, every man loves the adrenaline that comes with the chase. The winning of the heart of a girl and sweeping her off the feet. But when the feelings fade, when the honeymoon is over, we get lazy and romance dies. But that, my friends, is when love really begins. Husbands, how will you show your wife that you cherish her? How would you help your wife to become her full potential? Do you recognize and celebrate the good things that she brings to you and your family? All the little sin and unseen things that she does. 
I know how important it is to make sure we work hard to support the family, especially for men. But so not, do not do it by becoming absent and distant in your own marriage as well. We need to prioritize our wives and we cannot love her if she isn't the highest on our list below God. I know there are seasons where our lives can be chaotic and busy. I'm there right this moment myself. But where we can, we need to take time just to be with her, talk with her, not at her, and listen. Listen and know her and love her more. We all have a long way to go to love like this. It's an incredibly high bar for everyone. But husbands, in God's grace, we can rise to the occasion. Husbands, love your wives. Love like Jesus. Love her like you love your own body. So how do we bring this into a complete package? Paul takes a bit of a side turn here, and we'll miss it if you're not paying close attention. He shows us in the meaning of what's the meaning of marriage. He begins by quoting from Genesis chapter 2, verse 24. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is the beginning of marriage. This idea that a man and a woman leave their family and they become one flesh. They become a new family unit. It's a picture of marriage from the very beginning. But look at what Paul says next in verse 32. This mystery is profound. What's the mystery? It's not that a man and a wife becomes one flesh. He says the mystery is that all of this, all of this thing about marriage, actually points us to Christ and the church. Marriage is and has always been about Jesus and the church. This is what's profound. It's God's great wisdom. Right from the beginning of time when God created marriage, He said, this is going to be a sign for what I'm going to do in the gospel. A sign to explain how I will send my son to save my people and become united with them. The mystery is profound. Two, becoming one flesh. This is what Jesus has done with the church. And we are united to Christ. We become one with him. This is the mystery and this is what marriage has always been about. Now, if marriage is ultimately about Jesus and the church, that simply means that marriage is technically also a parable, a signpost. It is not the destination. Marriage is not the goal of your life. The goal of your life is to be a worshiper of Jesus and to be part of that great ultimate marriage between Jesus and his church. Marriage is ultimately for the gospel. It is designed to preach. It is designed to proclaim. It is designed to demonstrate the gospel. As a husband loves and a wife submits, the gospel is put on full display. The mystery is profound, but it has always been about Jesus and the church. 
This is why marriage matters. They're meant to show the goodness and beauty of what God has done for us in the gospel. And in that display, there is no room for a power struggle, control or domination. It's all about submission to one another, as we've spoken from the very beginning. As a husband lays his life down to love his wife, and the wife submits to her husband. So what can we learn from this? There's much in here for wives and husbands to consider. But let me also talk to those who are single or currently single. If you are single, whether you are happily single or waiting and longing for marriage, you can live in a way that shows Jesus is sufficient. Because if marriage is a sign, you're not missing out. You're not missing the main thing. I know there might be a gap between this truth and the present experience and longing that you're experiencing right now. But this is the reality. Jesus has come to you, and if you are Christ, if you are in Christ, sorry, you are loved. You are cherished more than you know. And you are one with him as well. To use your singleness to pour out your life for Jesus in a way that married couples cannot. So I implore you. Do not give up. Do not aim to just look for marriage, but to encourage those who are in that relationship to remain strong for the gospel. Now for those who are married, know your role. Abuse can happen when we concern ourselves with what our spouse should be obeying rather than what we should obey. Do not distort the truth by our sinfulness. Focus on your part, focus on your part of, the passage, of this passage. And as you do this, proclaim the gospel with your marriage. Our passage today is greatly misunderstood by those outside of the faith. But when it's truly lived out, it's a beautiful display of God's heart for this world. We can all be, we can all be the signposts to point the world to Jesus. So let us do our part, and may God be glorified through it. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for the beautiful message of marriage. We pray, dear Lord, that we will be your shining examples to the non-believers, to our friends, to our families, to our workmates, our sphere of influence. Let us lift out the God-designed marriage so as to display the God-designed love between the church and Christ. Forgive us of the times that we've distorted your words. Forgive us of the times that we've become stumbling blocks for our spouse, for our friends and our families and our workplace. Help us, Lord, to live a life that is by your grace, transform and submitting to one another. Let us consider others first before ourselves. Lord, you know our struggles. You know the challenges that each one of us face.
Help us to be transformed by you through your word and your scripture and through your spirit. We thank you, God, for the words that we learned today. And we pray, dear Lord, you speak to us in, in a way that only you can to each heart and each soul in this room right now. In your precious and holy name we pray. Amen.